0: The year is 1965. Lyndon Johnson is sworn in for a full term as president following his landslide victory over Barry Goldwater. The Voting Rights Act, to make it easier for black people to vote, is passed three months after civil rights marchers, led by a young John Lewis, were attacked and beaten by Alabama state troopers on the Edmund Pettus Bridge outside Selma. The first U.S. combat troops arrive in Vietnam, prompting the students for a Democratic Society, or SDS, to stage its first march protesting the war. And that year, the Pulitzer Prize for Drama went to The Subject Was Roses, a small family drama by Frank D. Gilroy. My name is Jan Simpson. Welcome to all the drama a podcast about the plays and musicals that have won American theater's highest accolade, the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. The subject was Roses won all the big prizes, the Tony for Best Play, the Outer Critics Circle Award for Best New Playwright, the New York Drama Critics Circle Award, and, of course, the Pulitzer Theater lovers also cheered it because it broke a two-year streak in which the Pulitzer Board had declined to give any drama award at all. Like the rest of the society in the 60s, the New York theater scene was changing. Downtown theaters like Joe Chino's Cafe Chino and Ellen Stewart's La Mama were popping up and giving opportunities to a new generation of playwrights that included black writers like Adrian Kennedy and gay writers who wrote more openly and realistically about gay subjects, as Lanford Wilson did with The Madness of Lady Bright, a monologue by an aging drag queen that might be at home on the Ryan Murphy TV series Pose. The new plays also experimented with form and used frank and sometimes profane language. All this made the Pulitzer board uncomfortable. In 1963, it infamously overruled the jury of theater experts who read through each year's submitted plays to winnow them down to a short list of prize contenders, and the board refused to award the 1963 prize to the jury's choice, Edward Albee's Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf. It didn't give a prize the next year either, so the board must have breathed a big sigh of relief when the jury presented it in 1965 with the more conventional choice of the subject was roses. The play is a three-hander. It takes place over one weekend in 1946 in a modest Bronx apartment and it opens as John and Nettie Cleary are waiting to welcome their son Timmy home from serving in World War II. It's an uneasy homecoming. The parents compete for Timmy's affection, and over the course of the three days and two acts, all three are forced to face truce about the way they've made one another unhappy. It ends with Timmy's decision to move out, an act of abandonment and liberation. There are many parallels between the play's story and the life of its playwright, Gilroy was born in New York in 1926 to a father who worked as a coffee broker, just as John Cleary does in the play. The young Gilroy spent most of his childhood in the Bronx, graduated from the local DeWitt Clinton High School in 1943, and then went off to serve two and a half years in the 89th Infantry Division that saw heavy fighting in France and Germany during the war. When he returned home, Gilroy used his GI Bill benefits to go to Dartmouth College, where he edited the school newspaper, wrote for its humor magazine, and began writing plays. After graduating in 1950, he went on to the Yale School of Drama, but had to drop out because he couldn't afford to stay. Instead, he honed his skills and made a good living writing scripts for such golden age TV shows as Playhouse 90 and Kraft Television Theater. But he also continued writing plays. In 1962, his drama, Who'll Save the Plowboy, about a reunion between two World War II vets, one an Obie. Gilroy had already written The Subject Was Roses by that time and he was eager to see it produced on Broadway, but despite the Obie win he couldn't find anybody to take it on. Finally, he persuaded his friend Edgar Lansbury, the younger brother of Angela Lansbury, to produce it, and the two of them raised $40,000, a modest amount even for that time, to put the show on. Casting wasn't any easier. Call Malden E.G. Marshall, Walter Matthau, Arthur Kennedy, Dan Daly, Art Connie, Jason Robarts, all turned down the role of the father. while Maureen Stapleton, Judy Holliday, Teresa Wright, Eileen Heckard, and Gilroy's top choice, Geraldine Page, passed on the role of the mother. Finally, the more journeyman actors, Jack Albertson and Irene Daly, signed on to play the parents. And a young actor, named Martin Sheen, was hired to play The son. The absence of marquee names made the show a tough sell. And as Gilroy tells it in a memoir he wrote about the production, they opened with an advance of just $165. The reviews weren't raised, but they were solid. The New York Times critic Howard Tobin called it a straightforward, realistic play that wears no airs. But the word of mouth was strong as theatergoers saw themselves in Gilroy's characters. And once the awards began to roll in, the play became a must-see. It ran for over 800 performances and was quickly made into a movie with Albertson and Sheen reprising their roles and Patricia Neal stepping in as the mother. Albertson, who had already won a Tony, also won an Oscar, but try though he did, and he would write some 30 plays before he died in 2015 at the age of 89, Gilroy was never able to repeat the success of The Subject Was Roses. He had four more plays open on Broadway, including a prequel to Roses called Any Given Day, but none lasted more than a month. He did better in other mediums, writing screenplays for 10 films, writing three novels, and creating the tv series Burke's Law that ran for three seasons and featured Gene Barry as a millionaire police captain who was chauffeured around to crime scenes in a Rolls Royce. Despite the awards it won, the subject was roses was already out of step with all the signal events that defined the sixties and it really gets done now the roundabout did do a revival in 1991 with the terrific cast of john mahoney dana ivy and patrick dempsey but it ran just 62 performances both the pearl theater company and the george street playhouse staged brief revivals in 2010 and the most high profile revival of the subject of roses was also that year at the mark taper forum in los angeles where the play's original timmy martin sheen stepped up to the role of the father i was curious about why the play had done so well in 1965 but has been pretty much ignored ever since for an explanation i reached out to thomas Hishak a professor of theater arts at Flagler University in St. Augustine, Florida, and the author of over 30 books on theater, including 100 Greatest American Plays. The subject was roses. Didn't make the cut for that one. Hi, Tom. Welcome to Broadway Radio.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm excited to talk with you about this play because it isn't one of the um, most well-known Pulitzer winners, but I know you know a lot about the entire American canon. And as I understand, you haven't seen it, but you certainly read it. What was your initial impression of The Subject Was Roses?
1: I first read it way back in the 60s um, when I was reading the newest plays from Broadway. And uh, at the time, it had won the Triple Crown, the Tony Award, the Drama Critics Award, and the Pulitzer. And that doesn't happen very much. So there was a lot of, you know, I was very interested to read this play. And I remember uh, that it was interesting, but not gripping, and the reviews at the time were very good. Uh, they they all thought it was uh, the introduction of a wonderful new playwright, uh, Frank Gilroy, and uh, a very good play and promising and all this stuff. Uh, but I just remember I wasn't that interested. It didn't grip me, and I forgot about it, and so has the rest of the world. Um, I would say it is one of the least produced of all the Pulitzer Prize winners. And, uh, and I think I know why. Why? <laughs> I think the play won the Pulitzer only because the Pulitzer committee was looking very bad in 1964. They had decided not to give an award two years earlier when Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf opened. People couldn't believe but they gave no award the year that was opened. The following year, nothing that outstanding, but some reasonable uh, plays. And I think they had to come up with a play, and not a musical, because recently Fiorello and um, How to Succeed in Business, they had both won, and I don't think they wanted to do another musical because it looked like the whole award was turning into musicals, because the show that should have got the award was Fiddler on the Roof. But I think they just didn't want to do that, and there really weren't that many good plays. So they looked at this play that got good reviews and was slowly catching on, and they said, we we got to give an award. This is the play we'll give the award to. I think in a year with better competition, it wouldn't have won. And uh, it has dated and gone out of fashion, maybe is the way to put it, very quickly, by the end of the Nobody was doing this play.
0: You say that there weren't, there wasn't really competition. But as I look back, that year, James Baldwin's Blues for Mister Charlie, then Leroy Jones, now Amiri Baraka's The Dutchman, yeah. Adrian Kennedy's Funny House of a Negro, Lanford Wilson's The Madness of Lady Bright, and even Edward Albee's Tiny Alice. There there was a, a lot going on.
1: Oh, yeah. But a lot of those plays were not Broadway, and a lot of them, I don't think the Pulitzer Committee was ready to give a play to a black playwright, as awful as that sounds. They didn't do it for Raisin in the Sun three years earlier. An outstanding play by any, you know, measurements. And... Uh, I think Dutchman probably just scared the hell out of them. Um, Baldwin's play was not that well-known. It was off-Broadway as well, I believe. And Adrian Kennedy would become more known later on. But I, I'm afraid the state of... The, you have to remember the, the old white men who are sitting on the committee. Um, they I don't think they were ready yet. 1964? By the late 60s? Maybe. But... Uh, I think those choices were not at all tempting to them. I think they wanted to play it safe. Let's do a nice American white domestic family drama. And uh, and that's what they picked.
0: It's sort of interesting and a little sad because there was so much going on with the explosion of downtown theater. Be right. it La Mama, Caffecino, Judson's, Wynn-Hanman's, American Place Theater, were they just not aware of what was going on downtown or turned off by it?
1: I think uh, some of them were unaware because they were concentrating on Broadway. Uh, you might know this better, Jen, than I do. I don't think they gave an off-Broadway play a Pulitzer Prize until, gosh, who knows, So they weren't even, you know, seriously considering Off-Broadway. Also, the people who vote for the Pulitzer are not theater people. They're literary people. They're drama professors and things like that. And the prize is supposed to go to the script, you know, not to the production or whatever. But what happens on several occasions is it was the production that got the Pulitzer and not the script, I think, uh, sometimes a play is so powerful in its uh, performances, and the actors are so good that the Pulitzer people are convinced this is a much better play than it it you know, really is. And the three people in this play, there's only three characters. They were all outstanding. Particularly Jack Albertson as the father. He went on to win several awards, even an Oscar when they made a movie out of it. You had a young Martin Sheen just coming on the scene as their son, and Irene Daly, a very well-known actress, playing the mother. This must have been a terrific trio of performances, uh, and I think think it fooled the critics as well as as the Pulitzer people because it isn't that interesting a play. It's mildly interesting, but not powerful. Um, I think that's happened later on, too. Uh, I'm sure you will be talking about plays like... Uh, Wit. There's a case where an outstanding performance just wowed everybody, but the scripts aren't that good, and they're not done that much.
0: Gilroy had four more plays open on Broadway, but I don't think any of them lasted more than a month. Do you think it... Was the Pulitzer, winning the Pulitzer that intimidated him that his style of plays ran out of steam or that Mm -hmm. he just wasn't the playwright that people thought he was?
1: Yeah, that's that's a cruel but probably true thing to say. Uh, His other plays were domestic family dramas. Uh, you're right, some of them closed within a couple of days. Um, one of them, uh, even uh, a play called, uh, let me get it here, Any Given Day, which opened in 93, it was a prequel to a sub, The Subject Was Roses. It was about the parents when their son is born. And it was even less interesting than, you know, uh, later on when we saw the the, the dynamics between them and their their son coming home from the war and everything this play was even thinner he did uh, he wrote for television he did some directing but I think there were high expectations writes this play wins the three top awards the play runs 800 performances that is a long time for a play and uh, especially one without stars and uh, I just think maybe he was not in that league. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: He certainly did not make your book of the 100 greatest American plays.
1: No, and there are several Pulitzer plays that didn't, you know. Um, when we uh, when I worked with Oxford we put together The Oxford Companion to American Theater, uh, which was jo- Joe Boardman's book, and I took over, we made the decision that every play that won a Pulitzer Prize, should be in that book with its own entry. And so Subject of Roses is in there. But when it came down to picking just 100 plays, it, it didn't come close to making the cut.
0: The last major revival i have been able to find was in 2010 at the uh, Mark Taper Forum. And that one had Martin Sheen play the father.
1: that's interesting yeah uh that's probably why it was revived um martin sheen is you know is a very good actor and is so well known now uh and i bet he was for nostalgia purposes i bet he wanted to return to that and play the part because jack albertson evidently was, was just astounding and i get you could see his performance in the movie um which i haven't seen um but, uh, but that's interesting, Martin Sheen playing it, yeah. But I again, I question, well, if Martin Sheen wasn't interested in reviving that, I don't know if the Mark Taper form would have dug it up. I don't know. Well, that's
0: what I was going to ask. Could the show work today? Uh, particularly, uh, this, as you know, is set right after World War II. It, right. Uh, a, a soldier returning home. And I wonder, as we have just ended th- this 20 year war with Afghanistan, might that make it somewhat relevant to today? Or is this one we should just leave in the, you know, rear view mirror?
1: Yeah. The play really isn't much about the war. Uh, the, the point of the play is this. This little boy grew up in a family where the parents were arguing, and it was not a happy experience, and he was sickly all the time. He goes away, fights in the war, and he, as he tells them to their face, the minute I left this house, I was never sick again. I was healthy, and I realized this is what was making me sick, and when he leaves them at the end, it's, it's, it's devastating, I suppose, um, but totally... By the numbers it says, yep all right, uh, unhappy household you leave, and uh, supposedly he will you know make a better life. the war itself doesn't come into it much
0: yeah, I guess this is uh, we've now done uh seven uh, this will be the seventh episode of okay. of of all the drama, and I guess we finally hit a show that shows that the Pulitzer's are not infallible, um, that oh, yeah. um, uh, that they're recognizing something at the moment, and that doesn't mm-hmm. always mean that a, a play is truly a classic uh, play.
1: Right. And you have to remember, they're, they're giving this award within the year that the play was first produced, so there's really no history yet. Matter of fact, when they gave this play the award, it hadn't it had only run like a, a hundred performances, and they were guessing that it would be a hit, and it, and it did catch on. It was a word-of-mouth kind of show. It, it struggled and struggled. Uh, the, the the play cost forty thousand dollars to produce. <laughs> I can imagine that today? But and uh, they were struggling, and uh, the the producers. Went back to their investors and asked for another ten thousand an overcall uh, to keep the play running, so it would catch on, and it did catch on, and it ended up running eight hundred and uh, something performances here, eight hundred and thirty-two performances. Uh, the investors got their money back. The producer, a young uh, Edgar Lansbury, uh, had his first hit, and uh, Martin Sheen was introduced uh, as a great newcomer. So, I mean, it was a pretty good experience all the way around, but the. Pulitzer people don't know that when they give these awards. They supposedly are looking at the scripts and just going by the scripts. And so there's many times where they hitch their wagon to a star that really didn't go anywhere, Um, but they can't see the future. They just have to go by quality of writing.
0: In that that particular moment, I think it's interesting that uh, two years later, the Pulitzer board will give the prize to uh, Edward Albee after not giving it to him for for Virginia Woolf. They give it to him for for a a delicate delicate balance. And
1: and And that's a very good play, but obviously it's nowhere close to, you know, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. But, yeah, how could you not, you know, uh, acknowledge that play? And so this was their, kind of their, you know... their their way of saying, oh yeah, we we think you're a really good playwright, you know, and it was quite clearly they didn't think that uh, two years earlier.
0: And maybe it was their way of saying we're ready to move into a different, recognizing uh, where theater is going as opposed to where it's been. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what, uh, the subject was Rose's, was it was a, maybe sort of a, a, a coda, a farewell to where a theater had been.
1: Uh, that's a good way of putting it. Yes, um, the, Gilroy's play is uh, old fashioned, but nothing to matter with that. It's a good, well written, old fashioned play. I mean, it's not cutting edge. It's not doing anything really amazingly new, but it's solid. It's story. It's 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 not the most engrossing story, but it's it's solidly told. But uh, you're right. I think after this, especially you know, by the mid and late '60s, when it was so clear that so many things were exploding in theater, off Broadway in particular, that I think probably they realized that they looked kind of staid and old-fashioned to pick a play like this. That same year, Edward Albee had a play called *Tiny Alice*, which baffled everybody. <laughs> and you think if they wanted to be nice to Albee, they'd give it to him for that. But I think they were so confused by that play that they didn't dare uh, give it the award. But *Delicate Balance* was a little bit more uh, understandable, so uh, they did give it to that.
0: Well, thank you for 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 talking uh, with us uh, about this. Now little known and play, the subject was roses. Thanks for for, for joining us to talk about it.
1: Uh, Thanks for having me.
0: And thank you for listening. I hope you'll come back next time and that you'll listen to all the other Broadway radio podcasts. And if you aren't already doing so, that you'll consider making a contribution to support our work which you can do at patreon.com slash broadwayradio.